Hannah Brown! Chris McLeish here for episode number 57. 57. I think I said that one last time. I <laughs> think mind. I know what you were going to say. <laughs> well, maybe 57 as much a slice of, heaven, slice of heaven as the others. As all the other sevens. Maybe, maybe. Who, who can say what is going to um, come forth on this week's episode? There's not an awful lot rhymes with seven. Eleven. Oh, that's true. Fifty-seven <laughs> ain't no eleven. It's definitely not. This is very odd because we've had a little cheeky week off. <laughs> yes, we have never had a week off in our lives. Um, we must apologise. We were both absolutely choked with the cold. We we really very much were, and it it was a cold. I was swabbed here, there, and everywhere around my nose and throats, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was it was just a cold. I concur. I. My symptoms were only of the cold variety and my, all yep. my tests were neggy, but I, <laughs> I mean, I'd be lucky to get a poker up my nose right now because it's so bunged. Yep. Mind you, maybe poking about might do some good. Maybe like a chimney sweep. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Um, but yes, I, sim- I sympathise. I sympathise. Mm-hmm. Um, Started off as throat, became nose and now it's sinus. That is absolutely what happened to me. And I'm sure all the lovely folks out there wouldn't really want to listen to us speaking as though we're pinching our noses and are chain smokers simultaneously. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. There is podcasts out there if that is of interest, but we are not that podcast. We are a (laughs) smoke-free zone and we like to sound crystal clear like a bell. Like a bell. Like a bell. Exactly. That was not us last week. Also, scheduling just became very tricky as they as Critchmith's approaches. <laughs> it's becoming more difficult. It's a busy because old time. We are busy people, kids. We are busy people. We're busy people, and sometimes life just takes over. Things will calm down again soon. I'm sure we'll be all back on track. Absolutely. Already we've got a cat interrupting proceedings. We have a cat who's very keen for snuggles right now. And she is all up in my grill. My grill is being all upped in. It's uh, (laughs) really... Come on now, kids. I love you too, but this is too much. Oh, you need a wash. At least a brush. Um, They are very hairy. They are. Same. On they're my like head. they're like on your head, but they're yeah. like little Highland cows, really. That I've all, it's often been said, ragdoll cats are the Highland cows of the indoor living space. They absolutely are because they stand. They've got little stumpy feet. They're hairy. Yes, they can speak Gaelic. Beautiful. That's a, that's we a love thing. it. Not a lot. Did you know that Gaelic for cat? Is cat? I don't think. Fluent. I don't think I did. Dog is bo. No, that's a lie. That's a no. lie. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Is it? <laughs> I've forgotten. I think bo actually might be cow, and coo might be dog. Well, that's just confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Considering that we call cows coos, do you know what I mean? A healing exactly. coo is actually yeah. just a, a wee Scotty dog. 
It's just been misinterpreted. Oh, I like Scotty dogs. They're cute. Other than being full of the cold, how are you? I'm very lovely, thank you. Oh, that's nice. Thank you very, very much. Um, I wish I had something interesting to say, but I really don't. Do you know, that is acceptable. I have a point of conversation I would like to bring up, although I brought it up before the podcast started recording. So, um, but I mean, I've, I've since forgotten what we were talking about before recording, so this is excellent. <laughs> so, a part of my December is going to be trying to get Mrs. Matthew Jones in the mood for Christmas. As oh, Mrs. Matthew Jones is, is not Christmas's biggest fan. That is sacrilegious. It's incorrect. Uh, So I have demanded that this is amended for this year. And every time we have spare time, we're going to pull an activity out of a hat. And it's normally Christmas activities. Or if we have an evening and we want to watch a Mm -hmm. film, I have a little lucky dip of films. So every time we want to watch something, pull out a wee name, we watch that. Yes. Well... Last night we started proceedings and we okay. watched Klaus. Ah, yes, yes. It is my third venture into the land of Klaus and it is excellent. Oh, that's so good. I love a good Christmas film. So good. It is like a. Somebody described it online as a Christmas Emperor's New Groove, which does give you oh. a kind of feel for what the vibe yes. is. Yes. The animation is stunning, very gothic, very up your street. (gasps) Yes, now we're talking. It's very good. And I said to Matt, prepare yourself because this is an emotional rollercoaster ride of time, uh, Mm -hmm. times. And I wasn't wrong. He found it very emotive and it was very good. Again, for the third time. Oh, excellent. Did it bring him some Christmas cheer? cheer but also tears because it's quite a moving film it's so good highly recommend if anybody hasn't seen Klaus it's on Netflix Um, so if you have a subscription it is free there you are just in case you weren't aware of what Netflix was yeah (laughs) highly recommended it comes highly recommended from me to you consider it a gift I'm definitely going to have to seek it out I've been too busy reading reviews about the terrible um, Scottish set Christmas Netflix film that was recently released. I too have read some poor reviews. Yeah? Yeah? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. I watched the trailer because I was intrigued and that was enough to put me off. Again, it begs the question, why not cast Scottish people as the Scottish people? It's a really good question that I feel. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of us. I'm literally sitting here waiting for employment. (laughs) All you have to do is ask. I'll say yes. Exactly. And you'd have happily gone to the big random castle in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, which is probably not even in Scotland. It's probably not even in Scotland. That is very true. But, I mean, I despair. Yeah, I just really don't see the need to not cast Scottish people in Scottish roles. If, or cast someone who can do the accent. I wouldn't begrudge that. I wouldn't be mad if you cast someone who can do the accent. Exactly. Exactly. Again, I say, 
a lot of the Outlander cast, I was very surprised to hear that quite a lot of them are actually English because their accents are very good. So what other activities have you got planned? Well, we sat... So we have kind of standard things like putting in a wee escape room. That's always fun. Classic choice. um, A trip through to the Edinburgh markets. We've got... um, Making salt dough and then we can make little Christmas ornaments and then paint them. We were going to buy some art supplies at some point, so we have some bits and bobs that we can do Christmassy-wise in the way of crafts. Um, Yeah, quite a lot of options, actually. I need to get a tree and I need to decorate. That's the one thing I need to do, but I might do that tomorrow. Very nice. Make it all festive and lovely. Yeah. Have you done anything festive yet, apart from working at Panto? I've ate, like, half a dozen bars of marzipan. Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. Does that That's count? fair. But no, I have, I have not yet. I'm still in slight denial. It's December, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it has snuck up on us, let's be serious. Where, where has it come from? It has come round the corner with a big tinsel-wrapped baseball bat and has hit us all squarely in the face. Almost the complete opposite of Mary Lou Who. Or, what's her name? Cindy Lou Who. Almost the complete opposite. I have no idea who Mary is. I think her mum, perhaps. Oh, maybe. The complete opposite of Cindy Lou Who. We are not asking, where are you Christmas? We're literally like, Christmas, how did you get here? How did you get here? How, How for why are you here already? Although, please tell me the Grinch is on your list. The Grinch is on our list. The animated version of The Grinch is quite good. The one that came out only a couple of years ago, if not last year. Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's not bad. I prefer the live action one. The live action one is good. Christine Bransky in the defining role of of her entire career. Absolutely. What a gal. I remember, because I used to watch that film a lot when I was a child. Because it was creepy and weird and I was that child. And see yeah, the fair. dress that Christine Bransky wears to like the big party. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? With like all the green kind of like tulle skirt. I wanted that dress so bad as a five year old. <laughs> I wanted her dressing gown. Like her, I just oh, murdered yeah. my husband dressing yeah. gown. <laughs> I always wanted that. I could see you pulling that off well. Can I tell you a cute, well, is it cute or is it really sad? I was always a fan of acting out scenes in my bedroom from various films. I love that. And there's the scene at the end of The Grinch where Christine Bransky is on top of the big pile of presents. And she's wearing that big fluffy dressing gown. She slides off. She scoots off. Yes, yes. I used to put on a blanket round my waist like it was the long floaty dressing gown. (laughs) I would then climb up my bunk bed and I would jump off. As if I was sliding off a big pile of toys. Oh, I love that. Yep. I had no friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love that you idolised Christine Bransky that much that you imitated her in your daily life. Even as a Wayne. I really did. What a... Oh, I love that so much. I was very Aww. good at entertaining myself. I would just act out all sorts of different films. I've already told you about acting out Peter Pan, I think. I used to do that a lot. Yeah. Um, any film I fancied, I would just act out. That's fair. Really do you good. still do that? Not so much. I do find myself sometimes 
watching films and I mimic the faces that people are making on on camera. I do find myself yes. doing that sometimes. That's fair. Don't know why. That's know why. fair enough. Doesn't benefit Aww. anyone. <laughs> let's not. I, let's not jibber jabber. Let's 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 go on. So get I've got a bit of a confession show. to make. <gasps> I have forgot to bring this magical hat to the party this week, and I can't you know be what? bothered. <laughs> she deserves a week off to get her. She deserves a holiday. Do you know what she does? But. I, I did have a question in my head that I thought okay. we could we could use this, but I have to ask first. Does you have Spotify? Mm, kind of. I have the free one. So did you not get a wrapped playlist? So it only it only tells me what my what my top songs are. It doesn't do like yeah, a wrapped thing. No, that's okay though. But because my question was, what is the most unusual song that's on your most played songs list. Ooh, okay. The, I, the weirdest or like the most unusual? Do, do, do. Well, I've never listened to that, so that's quite weird. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of songs on here that I've never seen in my life. Well, there you go. Well, I've got I'm blue, a babadi babadi babadi. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's all mostly Paramore, Ben Platt, Janelle Monáe, show tunes. These are all excellent choices. Ooh, the very last one on the list is Wannabe by the Spice Girls. Oh, nice. Yeah. A wee throwback at the end there. I can't say that any of these are surprising. I don't think any of those songs, apart from <laughs> the ones that I've never heard in my life, even though they've made their way I mean, into my yeah, top they, played songs. They're surprising for a different reason. Yeah. Um, but what about you? What's a lot of my because uh, I I'm quite a religious user of Spotify. I know it's not good for artists, and I try I try to buy songs where I can, but I use it quite a lot on the go, and purely because I didn't think I listened to it that much that it would appear on my most played songs list. But the one I thought was weirdest on mine was Agatha All Along from One Division. <laughs> That is interesting. It's a banger. It's a fantastic two minutes. Let yeah. me tell you. But I didn't think I listened to it that much that it ended up on the list. <laughs> That's surprising. We need to appreciate just briefly the beauty that is Catherine Han. Oh, she is in every movie yes. since 1963. And nobody really acknowledges that she's in every movie since 1963. And you know what, speaking of that, I can contest that because I, so speaking of Christmas films, I watched The Holiday for the first time recently and I don't really like rom-commy things, but I thought, you know what, I'll give this a go because I might quite like it. It's different when it's Christmas. Yes. And she turns up in that. She turns up as like the assistant. And, like, she's only in the film for, like, I don't know, 10 minutes max. But she randomly turns up. I feel like that is her career to a T. Yeah. She is. So she yeah, your point is fully movie. right. She turns up yeah. in everything. She was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. No credit for that. No one ever talks about it. Loads of stuff where she just pops in and then pops out. She pops up. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. She had, like, a cameo yes. and then kept coming back. I really enjoy her what a, a lot. Lady. She's very good. I she also has a children's book. I did not know this. Wild. Oh uh, my gosh. 
I listened to her on a podcast and she spoke about that. But one of the things I thought they did this year was quite cool. So when you got your Spotify wrapped, they made like a little slideshow talking about like what your most listened to types of music were and all that kind of you're in this percent of listeners in the entire world for this all that kind of fun fact nonsense and we like that but they made a kind of like like a kind of like color palette based on like the kind of music you listened to it was like they called it like your music aura or something like that okay i think i've heard about this yes and you know what mine said based on my listening of the past year it said that my music aura was confident and spooky. <laughs> I mean, it knows me so well. Oh yes. <laughs> what? Shall we fire in a story time? Let's we'll just absolutely go on. Mrs. Hattie McHatt booked off a fortnight, so that's good. I'm glad that you had a little standby. I just wish I could have partaken more because my Spotify is not a full. I mean, I still think the Blue Aliens one. That's not one I expected you to be listening to. Yeah, I'm blue. Yeah. There's a very good Pentatonix 90s mashup. Oh. And that features. It's very good. Now, this is a question I put to you. Who the heck is first this week? (laughs) Well, what stories did we do last time? Oh, I talked about James Braid, didn't I? Yes. I was first First. last time. You were first. I'm first. Ha ha! Yes. Okay. Yay! Well, there is quite a lot that inspired this story. Okay. One thing in particular, which I will come to, but it led me to, fi- to find something that actually linked in to your story from last week. What are the chances? By last week, I mean two weeks ago. And <laughs> it all comes together into one nice little neat Christmas parcel. So, oh. here we go. Walford... Okay, now I'm going to have to... I've got one word in and I'm already going to have to say something. Oh, no. His name might be Body, B-O-D-I-E, or it could be Bodie. <laughs> I mean, either way, it's funny. <laughs> either way, it's funny, especially because Thea calls breasticles Bodies. That's what Thea calls Okay, so this is going to be quite a struggle for you then? I think just for the fun, I'm going to call him Bodhi. Okay. 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 But it's probably Bodhi. Okay, so Walford Bodhi, whose real name was Samuel Murphy Bodhi, was born on the 11th of June, 1869 in Aberdeen, Scotland. Some would call him a master showman. Others would call him a con man. Growing up, Bodhi's parents encouraged him to work towards becoming a minister or to study medicine. However, he chose to work for the Scottish National Telephone Company at the age of 14, where he learned more about the magic of electricity. Two years later, captured by the allure of the stage and fascinated by the sparks of electricity he became familiar with so young, he began performing live stage acts building his reputation on acts that involved illusions, ventriloquism, (laughs) I'll leave it there, hypnotism, and other tricks. So he used hypnotism. Uh Aha! And ventriloquism. 
Whoa. Before I can't say ventriloqu- ventri- ventriloquism. There we go. Nailed it. I'll edit that one in. (laughs) Before long, the young Bodhi began introducing electricity into his shows and worked his way around the British Music Hall circuit, earning himself the name The Electrical Wizard and The British Edison. His performances often used an electric chair to shock members of the audience. The audience, oh my God. (laughs) I can't blame a cold for mispronouncing words this bad members of the audience with static electrical charges which despite looking extremely effective and sending shockwaves through the audiences in the stalls posed no type of lethal threat not like actual electric chairs okay so yes at the end of his act Bodhi would strap himself in assisted by la belle electra his assistant and seemingly pass 30,000 volts through his body Lighting up 16 light bulbs and two lamps he held in his hands, much like Uncle Fester did when he shoved bulbs in his gob. I'm so glad that you made that reference because that is literally what came to mind first when you said that. He called this force the Bodic Force, or the Bodic Force, depending on how he felt his name should be pronounced. Yes. He would often invite the audience to inspect his apparatus and pass electricity through the body of a volunteer. Other tricks he would play on the audience involved lady volunteers from the audience. Okay. As she came onto the stage, he would move forward and touch her hand and make her hair stand on end with static electricity. He would also ask for a couple to kiss on stage and make their lips spark. Oh. He may just have had some weird electrical kink and maybe he just was a pervert. Clearly, although when you said hair standing on end, it just automatically made me think of, you know when you rub a balloon to your hair? Yeah. And you take it away and it sticks. That's what I first thought of there. Yeah. That's less impressive. Um, less impressive. Um, I was imagining something to the extent of Debbie when she electrocutes herself in Adam's Family Values, just to bring it back full circle. Just to bring it back, yes. And another top tier reference. Thank you very much. What about Debbie? That is the question. (laughs) In 1890, he built a replica of the electric chair first used in America's Sing Sing prison on the first ever executed prisoner, William Kemmler. It's quite, quite morbid. It's very morbid, yeah. He would stage mock executions using the electric chair electric tray using the electric tray oh my god this is so hard to say (laughs) using (laughs) using using the electric chair trick to shock (laughs) and enthrall his audiences in an act that he called the man they could not electrocute oh i haven't had to read my script in two weeks and i've lost the i've lost the ability okay center yourself mcleese Initially, I thought this was absolutely vile, but then I read that during these performances, he would talk to the audience about how inhumane execution by electrocution was and would publicly ask Ah. for the American authorities to use hanging, which he considered more effective, quicker and more humane. Well, I mean, (laughs) I suppose it's the lesser of two evils, but... (laughs) Yes, this is the way to think of it, yeah. Oh, God. 
30 years later in 1920, his good friend Harry Houdini would gift hey, him. Guy. We know him. He gifted him the real electric chair used on Kemmler. How'd you get your hands on uh, that, Henry? I was literally Harry, going rather. to say that. You can't Amazon that. No, no, no. Bodie and Houdini were firm friends for many, many years. Numerous letters were exchanged between the two. In 1886, Bodie met Jeannie Henry at a show in Banff and they moved to Macduff when they married. They built a family home in Skeen Street, which they called the Manor House when it was finished in 1906. Sometimes she would perform with him as Princess Ruby. She was the eldest of eight very talented sisters and the second eldest in a family of 11. Seven of the siblings became part of the Bodie show. <laughs> Considering what Thea, call, what Thea calls breasticles, that is quite funny. Um, oh so seven of the siblings would become part of the Bodie show at one time or another, including La Belle Electra and Mystic Mary or Mystic Marie. Jeannie's elder brother Edward was a talented pianist and he would play at the Albert Hall before finishing life as a busker in Canada. Bodie and Jeannie produced three children, Albert who was born in 1889 and died in 1915 after a brief career as an illusionist himself, Jeannie who was born in 1890 and died in 1909, so she was only 19, and Samuel who was born in 1896 became a properly qualified medical practitioner and died in 1974. So he fared much better than the rest of them. Yes. Aww. Bodie claimed himself to be the most remarkable man on earth. And at one point in the Edwardian period, the Scotsman became one of the world's highest paid entertainers, if not the very highest. I feel like I've spoken about so many people that have claimed to be the highest paid entertainer. Do you know what? I was just thinking that because I was like, obviously, you know, like Houdini, mm-hmm. but if this person was allegedly the highest paid person in the world, why is, why, why we not know about them? Do you know what I mean? It seems really odd. Yeah. Very strange. Anyway, we won't refute, we won't dispute it. We'll just believe him or we won't because he's dead. He can't do anything about it. Years later, he developed an act called Bodie Electric Drug Company, in which he would cure the lame and the sick with what he called bloodless surgery, using hypnotism and electricity through the use of what he titled Electric Liniment, Bodie's Health Spa spa and Electric Life Pills. Quite the mouthful. Quite the mouthful. However, what his audience did not know is that he used static electricity, which would appear very showy and produce lots of sparks, but was in, an, was in actuality harmless, and that it is even alleged that the sick and infirm were actually just healthy people that he paid to come to the show. Uh. However, he did advertise openly and freely and his shows post his show posters included the invitation to quote, and I apologize for this term, send your cripples. Oh, that's not that's not no. That's no, not no, classy. No. Unacceptable. He may well have put that on the posters and only invited people that he was paying to do it. Like he could have been faking yes. it. Yes. In nineteen oh five, his quote unquote cures had made him so famous that he was made a freeman of the city of London. 
the first of his kind to receive such an honor. Now, when they say first of his kind, I'm assuming they mean like entertainer or magician. Y- y- yes. Yes, there was I no uh, so. there was there was nothing else to specify what his kind was, but I assumed. Yeah. <laughs> so from this, he made his fortune, set up his Bodhi Electric Drug Company, and published many many books. Despite his success, including a book on magic titled "The Bodhi Book" in 1906, Bodhi's popularity was not met entirely with open arms. His cures and the self-imposed title of doctor angered members of the medical profession and in 1905 he was taken to court for the use of the suffix md by the medical defense union Mm. bode claimed that he had inadvertently left off the suffix usa and was given nothing more than a smacked bottom what he didn't tell the court though is that he'd purchased his usa doctorate from a dentist in bradford oh is that how you get doctorates nowadays well, those are days. Those are days, maybe. Those are days. Those are days. Those are days. I stand corrected. But maybe it was as simple as that. In the 1906 Leeds court case, Justice Grantham summed up in his favour as follows, in part, quote, Perhaps his methods might not suit the taste of all, and it was well known that doctors were jealous people, but we have evidence of cases where doctors have failed and which have been cured by Dr. Bodie's treatment. There was no doubt that he, Dr. Bodhi, had done a great deal of good. He could not be stigmatised as a quack or an imposter. So, maybe there is an element of truth if they have actual evidence to say he was cured some people who doctors hadn't Mm -hmm. been able to cure. Guess who was fascinated by this man? None other than Charlie Chaplin. So much so... Oh, okay. Yes. So much so that when he got his first big break in the London stage, Charlie did an impersonation of Dr. Bodie, kitted out with the famous twirly moustache. Oh, okay. Uh, this was in April 1906 in a performance called Casey's Court Circus. At the time, the Electrical Wizard of the North was one of the biggest names in London show business. And Charlie Chaplin at this time was 17 years old. And after this, this performance of Dr. Bodie, his stage and film career took off. Yay! In 1909, he was sued by a formal principal assistant, Charlie Irving, for alleged misinterpretation. Ever the showman, Brody, claimed that the initials MD didn't actually have anything to do with medicine, but rather a pet name. And the pet name was Mary Devil. Sadly, or maybe not so sadly, Dr. Brody lost the legal battle and was forced to pay £1,000 in compensation. Oh. Yes. Now... Just a week after the Great Bodhi trial, at the instigation of the medical profession and under the leadership of student Philip Figder, 500 students rioted at his performance in the Glasgow Coliseum, forever tarnishing his name. The attack was professionally organised. Notices had been posted at the university calling upon the students to attend this evening, the evening's performance at the Coliseum. They marched to the hall... 500 strong, having booked a sufficient number of seats in the afternoon. There was ample indication that a storm was brewing. The students were in a rambunctious mood and broke into a chorus when Bodhi was announced as next on the billing. Then they started chanting, For he's a merry devil, for he's a merry devil. It was to the tune of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow. It doesn't fit syllabically 
very well with me but <laughs> these are these are medical students not musicians oh fair enough when the curtain was raised at the Colosseum, the missiles were thrown with white and bluish clouds rising across the auditorium. Bode was seen standing in the wings, but he later appeared on stage with his assistant, La Belle Electra. Students stormed a stage and produced knives and saws to cut huge gashes in the curtain. Fighting broke out and injuries were reported after police used their truncheons to quash the students. Disturbances broke out in other parts of the city, with Bodhi later claiming the riots and the objections from the medical community were merely due to professional jealousy. Bodhi was understandably devastated by the riots. He was forced to take a year off to recover, but he wrote books and reinvented his act. He made a recovery of sorts in 1912 when he outdrew the great Harry Lauder in Aberdeen and held his own until the 1920s when his now variety-based Bodhi show began to take root again. In the early 1930s, Bodhi owned a London nightclub and a, and a houseboat, which he called his floating palace, and <laughs> he had named that La Belle Electra. Now, the thing with this La Belle Electra naming of the boat, that wasn't his yes. wife. That was his wife's sister that was La Belle Electra. Oh, oh. that's... Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, I smell fish and it's not just because we're on a boat. <laughs> Bodhi was married twice. And this happened oh. because in 1931, Jeannie died. But it didn't Aww. take Bodhi very long to marry an attractive 22-year-old showgirl called Florrie Robertshaw. It was well known in show business circles that the handsome Walford Bodhi had been quite the womanizer. And his second marriage to a much, much, much younger woman was typical of the man who had once advertised himself as a sedulous artiste whose acquisitions are legion. I don't know what any of those words mean. Neither but okay. do I. <laughs> Let's say he was a, a legendary lad. That's probably what he's saying. Yeah. He's probably saying that he, he himself... He liked the ladies. He liked the lady. He was probably the... Um, the Bruce Forsyth of his time. Although I don't know that Bruce Forsyth... Well, he had a very much younger wife. I don't know. I'm not bad-mouthing Brucey. Let's be serious. No. <laughs> Let's crack on. <laughs> um, his, he and his second wife were said to entertain lavishly and the guest list was said to include the future king, Edward VIII, and his fiancée, Wallace Simpson. Woo-woo. Uh, good mm. for you, Bodie. First and foremost, Bodie was a showman but he also was a considerate and compassionate man. While conducting research for his anthology, a man named Jim, whose last name I haven't written down, uh, found <laughs> handwritten letters showing that underneath his bravado, Bodhi was actually pretty soft. Aww. In one letter to Houdini, Bodhi says, quote, Dear Houdini, your kind letter of sympathy duly to hand Please accept our united best thanks. Also, condolences in the irreparable loss of your dear mother. Trusting you and Mrs. Houdini are well, and with our united kindest, kindest remembrances, I am yours very sincerely, Walford Bodie. So that's quite sweet. Oh, yes. During the time where he took his hiatus from the stage, mm -hmm. he suffered a number of personal tragedies, including the death of his daughter, his son, two of his sisters-in-law, and his brother-in-law, 
who was also his manager. He then lost all of his production equipment and almost his life when he was on the Arabia ship and it was torpedoed by a submarine and sank during the First World War. Oh, okay. That's quite the time. God. Then um, he sadly collapsed on stage in 1939 and died days later at the age of 70 after the end of a session at the Blackpool Pleasure Beach. His body was returned to and buried in Macduff. Oh. Yeah, so he's buried in Scotland. Um, He's back home. He's back home. In the Florence Tudor articles from the 1970s, published in The Scotsman, the preface reads, quote, Some believe that he was a charlatan, but Florence Tudor defends his reputation and claims that, as well as a superb showman, he was a pioneer of medical techniques. She also went on to describe Bodie as a misunderstood genius. For years after his death, Macduff mothers would warn their children that if they did not behave, they would get a visit from the ghost of Walford Bodie. Some people in Walford still pass on this legend to their children and grandchildren. It is rumoured that the manor house is haunted by the ghost of Walford, though there have been no confirmed sightings. Oh. Some adults to this day would rather walk across the road than pass the house, so frightened that they were in their childhoods. Now, all of this being said leads me to another link and all of the kind of reason that I found out that this hypnotist man who had medical miracles, <laughs> miracles, medical miracles happen. Uh, this all leads to this. Bear with. Okay. I'm going to talk now about one of the venues in which Bodhi performed right here in the Glasgow. Oh, really? Yeah, I am. Many of okay. the vaudeville greats performed in this venue. Dan Lido, who, was, who performed often as a dame and was the stuff of legend. Three times Oscar nominee, Charles Coburn. Singer, Marie Loftus. Vesta Tilly, who is one of the greatest ever male impersonators of her time. Ella Shields, who was another male impersonator who parodied some of Vesta's songs. Jack Buchanan, who was famed for his debonair gentlemanly roles in Hollywood, but was from Scotland. And Mm -hmm. the dancing stilt walker Archibald Leach. Do you know who Archibald Leach is? No. Should I? Well, just you wait. Archibald Leach performing as a wee stilt walker in Glasgow, dancing about Cary Grant. No way! None other. (laughs) None other than Cary Grant. Wow! Oh, yes. okay. Was not expect- expecting that plot twist. No, neither was I. That was quite the twist. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the pride of Glasgow's high street, the Britannia Panopticon. Yay! Yay. So this is the oldest surviving music hall in the world. From launching the careers of comedy greats to hosting a Noah's Ark-style indoor zoo, Glasgow's Music Hall has a very colourful history. The the Britannia Music Hall, as it was originally known, first opened in 1857, located at 117 Trongate in Glasgow. The building was originally a warehouse built by Archibald Blair and designed by partners Thomas Gildard and Robert H.M. McFarlane in 1957. Which is and this was in the Trongate, which is close to the salt market in Glasgow, which is a an area historically renowned for working class popular entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
The four-story building has an elegant Italian-style facade, complete with putti, uh, carved swags of fruit and flowers, arched windows, and a Grecian key, which were all fully repaired and restored in 2008. I don't know what a putti is. Sounds nice. Slightly delicious, actually. At oh, the time where the where the it became a music hall, music hall entertainment brought light relief to the worker, the working class men of the city, who came to watch shows and socialize with friends between shifts in Glasgow's industrial factories and shipyards. The majority of residents couldn't remember or pronounce the name, so it was often just called the pots and pans. Oh, I love that. Which is funny. Because Preston Pans, which is like a, t- a village or two along from Aberlady, yes. often also gets called Pots and Pans. Oh, okay. Yes. Bonus fact. <laughs> These men were famed for their violent disapproval of bad acts and their enthusiastic applause when they were well entertained. Audiences were around 1,500 strong, with up to four shows being performed every day. Oh every day, God. Hannah Brown. Imagine working in front of a house for that. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Although they probably didn't have ushers. It was probably just absolute carnage. Cigarette sellers. <laughs> just they a free-for-all. Yeah, probably. That's true. They would have had that. Yes. Uh, they would have comic singers, ballad singers, and the particularly popular dancing girls in their day-to-day lineups. As the Britannia Music Hall attracted high numbers of eager men, Glasgow's resourceful sex workers soon saw an opportunity to make some cash, cash, cash. They You've began got to capitalize on it. You need to you need to spot the market and fill it. And those men Absolutely. Did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going there. I hated I every second of that. I hated it. I hated every second of that. I do apologize. <laughs> That's not my sense of humor. It's, very it's much the cold talking. It's the cold. I'm deluded. I'm high on absolutely nothing but hydration. Okay. Oh, God. They began doing a roaring trade in the Britannia. So much so that city authorities became concerned that the music hall was contributing to the moral decay of the East End's working classes. Police then started calling in on the Britannia as part of their daily beat in an attempt to clean up the city's music halls. During police visits, stage material was toned down and patrons were on their best behaviour. As soon as the authorities left, though, the popular body humour would start up again. A rule was later introduced, stating that no ladies would be admitted without a gentleman escort. Ah. Mm-hmm. But this the was old sexism the rears old its head again. Sexism. In an attempt to discourage sex workers from selling their services in the music hall. Oh, that was the end of the sentence I just said. Yes, there you go. Oh yes. Perhaps the most famous career which the Britannia helped to launch was that of a 16-year-old named Arthur Stanley Jefferson. Better known as Stan Laurel, the young man made his debut on the Britannia stage in 1906 during an amateur night. According to legend, his first joke went something like this. Did you hear the one about the two butterflies? One butterfly said to the other butterfly, I am bothered, I am bothered. Why is that then? asked the other butterfly. Because I couldn't go to the dance, replied the first butterfly. Why ever not? asked the second. Because it was a mothball. I mean, I don't really think that's career launching stuff, but, but simpler days. We, it, it, was, it was the 1900s after all. 
Oh, the 1900s. Can you imagine if they heard a knock-knock joke? They'd wet themselves. <laughs> They'd absolutely wet themselves. Would have been groundbreaking. Yes. Even after he had become famous as part of the duo Laurel and Hardy, Jefferson returned to Glasgow in the 1930s to thank A.E. Picard, who was the manager at the time that he did his little performance, uh, for giving him his first break. Oliver Hardy died on the 7th of August, 1957. And people who knew Laurel said that he was absolutely devastated by Hardy's death and never fully recovered from it. His wife told the press that he became physically ill upon hearing the news that Hardy was dying. Laurel was in fact too ill to attend Hardy's funeral, but said that, quote, babe would understand. They called each other babe. Although he continued to socialise with his fans, he refused to perform on stage or act in another film from then on, as he had no interest in working without Hardy turning down every offer he was given for a public appearance. Laurel was still gracious to fans though and spent much time answering fan mail. His phone number was also listed in the telephone directory and he would take calls from fans. He died on the 23rd of February 1965 at the age of 74. Minutes before before his death, he told his nurse that he would not mind going skiing and she replied that she was not aware that he was a skier. His response was, I'm not. I'd rather be doing that than this. And a few minutes later, he died <sighs> quietly in his armchair. Oh. At his funeral service at Church of the Hills, Buster Keaton said, Chaplin wasn't the funniest. I wasn't the funniest. This man was the funniest. Dick Van Dyke gave a eulogy as a friend, protege and occasional impressionist of Laurel during his later years. He read the clown's prayer as a little um, homage. Laurel had quipped, quote, if anyone at my funeral has a long face, I'll never speak to him again. Cracking <laughs> jokes to the very end. The music hall's attic housed a carnival of 17 different games, along with a collection of waxworks, which included members of the royal family and the most recent prisoner to be executed at Duke Street Prison. This exhibit was often changed about, and it, uh, who knows who would be there next. Lovely. There was also, at a time, a, quote, freak show within the venue featuring the world's smallest and tallest men, Sl- Sleeping Beauty, a leprechaun, and more. The basement was converted to hold an indoor menagerie, modelling on Noah's Ark. This mini zoo included a collection of birds, monkeys, reptiles, and even a bear. Okay. Yes, the Britannia Panopticon survived the First World War and the 1920s, but by the end of the 1930s, it was struggling. Despite being one of the first places in Glasgow to show animated pictures in 1897, the Britannia struggled to compete with the new wave of art deco cinemas and ultimately closed its doors in 38. The building was then sold to a tailor's firm who used it as a shop and warehouse, and it was even briefly used as a chicken farm during World War Two. How fun. There you go. Versatility. Yes, she knows no bounds. 
Uh, but in 1997, when Judith Bowers persuaded the owners of the building to let her in, she fell in love with the old music hall. And since then, with the help of an amazing group of trustees, volunteers and the friends of Britannia Panopticon, the music hall is once again open to entertain with traditional music hall shows, classic cinema nights, comedy, drag, fairs, exhibitions and much, much more. Britannia Panopticon is a real hidden gem and a step back in time to the Victorian city. It's now successfully restored and the 1920s stage is back. The next phase of work will be to fix the balcony. You can go and visit. There's a small, a very, very small admission fee, £2 for adults, £1 for children. And all, mm-hmm. all the money goes towards conserving and protecting the, uh, the Panopticon. Now, the reason this is relevant is because... To, upon uploading of this episode which is friday the 10th yes it's the day before matthew jones the mrs matthew jones opens jack and the beanstalk at the britannia panopticon and so it felt yay apt. it felt apt that's very apt yes very um, apt so that's it the story of mr Bodie and the britannia panopticon what a beautiful duo of stories this week. Thank you. It was excellent. Um, I had never heard about that man. Neither had I until uh, I was just doing research on the Panopticon. And I decided to every name listed as a performer at the Panopticon, like like kind of the famous celebrity mm-hmm. ones, uh, I looked them all up. And he was one of the ones that came up and he had the most about him on Wikipedia and I thought, why not? And then I saw the whole why hypnotism not? thing. Very nice building. It's a very nice building, but it'd be a creepy building. Creepy, creepy. I am not a fan particularly of wax figures. No. And they are no. there. Looking down. Mm-hmm. Looking down. Looking down. <laughs> not a fan. No, but I, I agree. I would highly, highly recommend people go and visit it because it is beautiful and so historic. Oh my God. But yeah, she be creepy. Mm-hmm. But absolute steal to get in. I didn't think it was as cheap as that. Two pounds. That's all it is. We should go. We should just pop in. We should. Hold a seance. Mm, I'll hold the I'll watch from the sidelines. <laughs> I'll hold my own hand and summon the spirits. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm sure they'd appreciate a visit. Yeah, they'll be hacked off with visitors once the panto's over, because you know what exactly. I mean. Exactly. They've not had visitors for two years. They'll be like, "What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Where have you all been? Where have you been all my life? Uh, 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 uh. We don't have the rights." We don't have the rights. We don't. we don't. McLeish, now you know I like a good bit of spooky gothic jewellery in my life. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan. Can you tell me where I could find some good items? Absolutely. So a little supporter of A Wee Bit Gothic called Pretty Witchy got in touch and asked us to give them a wee shout out. They have quite the range of rings and necklaces and decor and all sorts of gothic bits and bobs that would fully suit your needs. They have an Etsy store, which is called Pretty Witchy UK, and they actually have a festive specific store as well called Pretty Festive. If you want to buy something for Christmas presents and things, you can go on there and order before the 18th of December if you want to get it on time. There's lots of really, really cool stuff. There's a 
a cat ear umbrella that I am really into. They've got all sorts of crosses and things, like little crucifixes, without Jesus on them. There's normally kind of a little focus on bugs and things. I really like the bug jewellery. They've got cute kind of firefly well. necklaces, beetle yeah. rings and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, plenty of things to choose from. Have a swatch. Um, well, over to you back in the studio. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, I'm very glad that once again you hit upon like a very niche topic of Scottish history, which is the Scottish vaudeville circuit. Yes, again, very I'm, much interested. I'm so thoroughly enjoying the whole vaudevillian circuit thing. Yes, yeah, so cool. It's I love so it. fascinating. The love perform- it so much. performers were wild. They were. They, it was quite the time. Quite yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Mine's this week doesn't involve the vaudeville circuit, so... <laughs> That's okay. This is a different time. Yeah, this is a different time. And we are very much going back in time today. Ooh. We are. Um, so we are going back to the August of 1699. Oh, God, that was a good summer. Wasn't it a great time? Oh, yeah. Fantastic time. We're outing so ourselves yes, as 450-year-olds. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, don't look a day over 420. <laughs> so yes, so it is the August of 1699, and ships Olive Branch and Hopeful Beginning arrive at what has been christened New Caledonia. Ooh. Yes. So they are bringing with them supplies to a newly established colony along with 300 new settlers to populate the land. So what was it you said last time? Prime stealing other people's land time we're talking yes. about this yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I know yes. it well. Yes, so expecting to find a bustling busy town and port upon landing on the coast, they are greeted with a rather unusual sight. So the land is deserted. Oh. There's not a person in sight. They find numerous ruined huts and more disturbingly, 400 overgrown graves. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's cool. So what had happened to the inhabitants of New Caledonia? Let's talk about the failed Darien scheme. Do you know about this? I know sweet, sweet, sweet Fanny Adams about this. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That is what we like to hear. Mm-hmm. So in the late 1690s, Scotland experiences unusually cold weather during a time that is known as the Seven Ill Years, which followed a period of national famine across the country. They didn't have central heating pals. No. It was a bad time. No. It was a bad time. They didn't even have gas heaters yet, let alone central heating. Jings, can you imagine? They hadn't discovered so fire was, yet. Exactly. It was proper chilly Baltic, let me tell you. No, no, no. Back in 1690 Scotland. So, it, and here is a wild number for you it is believed that during this time scotland lost between 10 and 15 percent of the entire population wow that's a lot that's 
that's a lot of peoples. Yeah. That's a lot of peoples. Um, and this was because the country's harvests had failed thanks to the cold. Yeah, the ground's not great for ploughing when it's chilly, Billy. It's definitely not. It's definitely not. You can't get those potatoes planted when no. it's freezing. No, not at all. So there is a rising opinion amongst the Scottish people that they should attempt to become a great colonial power, much like the neighbouring England, who, of course, were very much up and coming in those circles at that time. Mm -hmm. So Trading Company, the Company of Scotland, is established and they receive initial investment from Amsterdam, Hamburg and London. However... Funding from the London and the English government is ultimately pulled after they are pressured by the East India Company, who we have spoken about previously. We have. We have. I can't remember why. No, no. But they no, definitely it... featured. They were probably doing something very immoral. <laughs> probably. It was something, it was a story of yours, not a story of mine. Yeah, and I can't remember why, but yeah. they were probably doing something bad. Props. Because they weren't very nice people. Because, as I put in my notes, they were a major colonial power of the time. Pinching patches and making it their own. Pinching patches of land and people as well. Yeah, so trees and people are really just the same thing. Yeah, well, they were to the East India Company. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so ultimately, Scotland is left as the only investor. Classic. Okay. So, the Scottish public believe in the attempts to establish the company and a new colony overseas, and they themselves contribute to the funding of the expedition. They raise £500,000. How much do you think that is today? Gosh, that must be £27 million. Yeah, You're not far off. You're in the right area. It is in the millions. That's approximately £53.5 million today. Wow. It's a lot of monies, mm-hmm. a lot of monies. So many volunteered to be a part of the first colony of settlers and the numbers include those from the Highlands whose lives had been very much destroyed by famine and illness yeah. during this horrible time. There was also a group of soldiers that had been discharged from service, some in disgrace, after their involvement in the Glencoe Massacre. We know that one. We do know that one. And I didn't write down the episode number because I forgot. <laughs> Ooh, it was about three months ago. Exactly. Because it was when you went on your beep beep road, road trip. trip. <laughs> so it's there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so this colony is to be established on the Isthmus of Darien, which is known today as the Isthmus of Panama. Okay. And this land lies between the Caribbean Sea and the Pacific Ocean. It was believed to be a prime position in which to establish trade. Five ships are ready to set sail from Scotland, and they are the St. Andrew, Caledonia, Unicorn, Dolphin, and Endeavour. Unicorn? I want to be on that ship. Unicorn! (laughs) But you know what, though? All of them are relatively Scottish-related, apart from Dolphin. What's a dolphin got to do with Scotland? We do have some dolphins. We do? In the north. What do you suppose we do? do? We do. I wouldn't necessarily Um, think it's the first animal one thinks of when you think Scotland, though. That's true. 
What would you think of first? Unicorn. <laughs> Unicorn, <laughs> or of course. Helen the Koo. only answer. <laughs> Helen Koo. Um, so the number of settlers totals 1,200 that are going to make the voyage over to this new land. And they were actually kept below deck during their journey around the coast of Scotland and something that they actually cited as being highly traumatic. Not surprising. Not surprising. And little did they know. Spoiler alert. Mm. So the fleet departs from Leith in October 1698 and arrives at Darien on the 2nd of November. They christen their new home, New Caledonia, saying, and I quote, We do here settle and in the name of God establish ourselves and in honour for the memory of that most ancient and renowned name of our mother country, we do and will from henceforward call this country by the name of Caledonia and ourselves successors and associates by the names of Caledonians. Okay. A lot of extra words for what once again really they were saying is yes what really they were saying is we're going to call this caledonia and we be caledonians (laughs) bish bash bosh why does it take so long (laughs) save the lots of time to (laughs) lots of time to kill that's true no ipads um no ipads so the settlers begin to construct huts and accommodation in the main town quote-unquote to be known as New Edinburgh. And they also construct Fort St Andrew, which was equipped with 50 cannons. Why for? Are you expecting a battle? Exactly. Also, I always find it strange as well when like people who like established colonies could have called this place whatever they wanted. Yeah. But it was just new everything. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's literally new everything. Literally, yeah, everywhere. Just come up with something new. They didn't have an original bone in their bodies. No. To even be a little bit creative with it. So they also prepare the land to start growing crops. What they haven't established, however, is a source of fresh water. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, priorities, pals. Yes. Priorities. You've got your 50 cannons, you've got your four, but what are you drinking? Cracking a cannonball open, drinking its milk. Um, so letters are sent back to Scotland, giving the impression that everything is wonderful on this new Scottish corner of the world. Reality, however, is far more bleak. So crops like, these ba- like those back home fail to grow, leading to increasing bouts of starvation amongst the people. They also need enough field to sell anything to any passing traders that passed through. And so infighting amongst those began amongst those that were tasked to like lead this colony. Um, individuals that were native to the area were willing to trade and also brought great gifts of fruit and food for the settlers. Oh, that's I nice. know, which is so lovely. Nice. But because the people in charge were horrible, uh, they took all the things from the settlers and they went back to their ships and ate everything. Nice, that's the, the, nice. The, the, that's nice of them, right? Mm-hmm. The settler, the the native peoples brought gifts for all these Scottish people and then all the people in charge took everything away. Because that was another thing 
<laughs> that all the people in charge remained on the ships while all the people did all the work. Again, classic. Trying to build this new town. Yeah. So with the summer only came illness and settlers began to suffer from fever and malaria. In fact, the mortality rates became as high as 10 settlers a day. Oofed. It's a lot of people that are dying a day. Honestly, you can't imagine what these poor people were going through in this strange, to them, this strange land that would have been so different, mm. like tropical like land in comparison to old Scotland. You would not have fared well, my friend. If, if I sit too near a radiator, I get sunburn. Exactly. <laughs> you would have Can't not done it. well. No. So the people were all starving. The food that they'd brought with them was spoiled. Where have we heard this before? Mm-hmm. And as the leaders were rewarded... As the leaders rewarded settlers with alcohol, as they didn't have anything else to give them, drunkenness became a common problem. In a clan of Scottish folk just sitting about? Surely not. I know, right? And what follows this are cases of dysentery, as settlers are forced to eat the literally rotting food. That's it's a bad really time. Grim. That's really grim. It's a bad time. So New Caledonia is abandoned in July 1699 after only eight months. Six men who were too weak to move were left behind to die on the island. I know! It's so bad! It's so bad! So a ship from the colony called the town of Port Royal in Jamaica only to be refused help citing orders from the English government. So all these Scottish people that were literally, like, dying on this ship were refused entry onto the land under orders of the government because obviously they were ruling that part of the world at the time. So out of the initial 1,200 people that travelled to Darien, only 300 survived. Oh, my God. I know. That's... That's a crazy number. Yeah. It's... Oh, you can't bear thinking about it. So the ship Caledonia arrives in New York with only 250 survivors and the unicorn follows four days later. However, they are met with the disturbing news that ships Olive Branch and Hopeful Beginnings have already set sail for the colony with supplies on board and new settlers. So the bad news didn't really travel as fast as they would have liked it to. Mm-hmm. Because according to Scotland, everything's going great over in New Caledonia. They're having a lovely time and we're going to send more people over. Could they not have sent a text? Could they not have emailed and CC'd in everyone that's important? (laughs) I know, done like a little Zoom call just to say, pals, not going as great as we hoped. Come on now. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the second group of settlers ultimately abandons the colony after being apprehended by Spanish forces. Hmm. The loss of the £500,000 investment also crashed the Scottish economy. Not great. Not good. So the failed Darien scheme is often cited as one of the motivations behind the passing of the Acts of Union 1707. 
in which the Kingdom of Scotland and the Kingdom of England became Great Britain. I see. The colony... Yes, you see where I'm going with this. The colony was established in an area that was a known Spanish trading route. That's why they were apprehended by Spanish forces, the second group. And the Darien scheme posed a threat to them. It is believed that the English government pulled their funding so they did not antagonise Spain. It is for the same reason that the desperate Scots that harboured at Port Royal were refused help. Mm-hmm. Could the English government have been playing the long game and it was a conspiracy all along? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is like a legit kind of sort of historical conspiracy theory, is that the reason that the English government wanted the Darien scheme to fail is so Scotland couldn't become richer and more powerful and more influential and they could like put mm-hmm. the acts of union into motion but oh. it is just a conspiracy after all it feels too true too really <laughs> too true um so only one ship from the colony ever made it back to scotland and in the biggest slap in the face ever to exist those on board were seen as a national disgrace oh no <laughs> that's not the welcome back you want we almost died in the middle of nowhere because of disease and famine. And then you come back and you're, they all go, you lot are failures. No. Come on. <laughs> no, no, Not no. cool, guys. Not cool. And out of the two and a half thousand people that travels overseas in the hope of establishing a new life, only a few hundred ultimately survived. Not good. Not good, not good. And so that is the story of the failed Darien scheme. I have genuinely never heard of that. Really? It's only one that kind of came to my attention in the past few months. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty horrible one. Mm-hmm. Because all, all these, yeah, all these Scottish people went over thinking they were going to start a new life and pretty much succumbed to famine and disease over there as well it's not really what you want when you're trying to start afresh um not really (laughs) but also why leave scotland scotland's oh yeah the famine oh yeah yeah (laughs) i remember that wee bit that little tidbit (laughs) start yeah (laughs) um fair okay well i can see i can see they're thinking the article I was reading is that, that this, the failed Darien scheme, is included into one of the motivations behind why the Acts of Union might have occurred. Yeah. Because, um, because the Scottish economy crashed so hard after it because they lost yeah. all that money. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rubbish and it's pretty horrible um, as well. It was also just like by the sounds of it, it was really badly managed. Yeah. As well. Like nothing nothing about it um was handled well. Pointed to that it was going to be successful in any way at all. Because it just seemed one thing after another was going wrong. Yeah. So As someone who gets homesick very easily, that would be the worst experience of my life. I'm sure it was the worst experience of their life too. But Yes. I that kind of traveling back in the day just sounds like hell to me. 
it yeah it that does it yeah. fully does Literally, it's horrible yeah. thank you very much for once again joining us at a wee bit gothic for some more stories take a look at our instagram or facebook to see the corresponding photos they will give you a wee visual to go along with our stories and if you do have a question for us to answer please do either email us or messages or comment on one of the hat posts which go up throughout the week and should you own a little apple device if you could head on over to that magical little apple podcast logo and search for a wee bit gothic and leave us a review we would be much appreciative of it as it does help us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world was that gothic a wee bit